Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible now as well, which is from Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read from verse 13 to 35, if you have your Bibles there, although it's going to be on the screen behind me as well, and then Josh will come up and preach for us. This is what God's Word says, starting at Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Then he was at the table with them. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can open your word and read it freely. Uh, Please help us to see Jesus in this meal and see what he's doing through it. And please help each of us to hear what he's trying to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So phobias can be pretty interesting, especially the rare and sort of funny ones, like uh, pogonophobia, which is a fear of beards, or nomophobia, that's the fear of being without your mobile phone. And my personal favorite, hippopotamonstrosis quipedaliophobia, fear of long words. 
Now, we can all agree that those three seem a bit silly, but there's plenty of phobias to go around, and some of them are a bit more understandable. I, myself, am terrified of lightning. I, I, I can't stand it. The flash, the noise, the unpredictability, all of it just freaks me out. And it's not as rare as you might think. In fact, uh, a study showed it was the third most common phobia in the US. Uh, so there's, you know, some phobias are quite common. There's the fear of heights, acrophobia, or thalassophobia, the fear of deep water. And I'm sure at some point in our lives, uh, most of us have experienced nyctophobia, which is fear of the dark. Now, at first glance, these phobias may seem quite unconnected. But when I was researching them, I came across a study that suggested that all fears are based on a common fear. It described it as one fear to rule them all. And it was the fear of the unknown. Now, we face a lot of unknowns in our lives, especially in recent times. But generally, humankind has always agreed on what is the biggest unknown, what we consider the most common and rational fear, the fear of death. What happens when we die? It's a question we fail to answer, no matter how much time or money or manpower we throw at it. As a whole, we just don't know what to expect after death. And that can be really scary. So over these past weeks, we've been seeing Jesus at a lot of different meals, giving wisdom and guidance to his followers. He's answered a lot of questions about how we should live our lives, how to treat each other, and how to properly honor God. But as we open God's word today, we're going to look at the meal where Jesus answers probably the biggest question of all. It begins in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. We catch up with two disciples who are walking down the road. Now, these guys, they weren't a part of Jesus' 12 disciples, but they were followers of Jesus. So at this point, the Passover festival we saw last week is over. If you were here, Ross explained that there were over a million visitors to Jerusalem, and now they're all leaving town. So these two are walking, and they're reflecting on what a crazy time it's been. They came to see Jesus, but he was arrested. He was publicly mocked and killed by the Romans on a cross just outside of town, in front of everybody. God said he would send a savior, and these two thought Jesus was it. It wasn't that new an idea either. It, it was a promise that was promised long ago, the idea that all their daily struggles, all the pain and the suffering that they endure year after year after year, that all of it would be ended through Jesus. See, he claimed to be the one God sent. And he performed miracles and taught God's word and challenged their leaders. But they were disappointed. They no longer have hope. Jesus is dead. And there's no point in following a dead Messiah. He's gone. And he was supposed to fix everything. Now, how would you be feeling? What would you be thinking? Myself, if it was me, I'd be a wreck. I'd feel a little lost, uh, maybe even angry, wondering, what am I going to do now? What's, what's the reason to live? But uh, it's kind of what these guys are feeling. See, they're walking down the road, deflated and miserable. And then in verse 15, a stranger approaches and starts walking with them. Now, we know it's Jesus, but to them, he's just some guy. In verse 17, the stranger asked them, what are you talking about? Now, how depressing is that question right now? I hate it myself when I'm going through something and all I want to do is not think about it, and someone asks, what's wrong? Just brings it all back to the surface, making you feel bad all over again. 
They stop walking. They don't even look at the guy when Cleopas finally answers. He asks the stranger, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there? The stranger, apparently not realizing how ignorant he seems, asks them, what things? Now, this is Passover week. There are a lot of Jewish pilgrims in the city and the surrounding areas, and I doubt any of them missed the news about the man from Nazareth claiming to be king of the Jews, let alone the Son of God. And with this in mind, their, uh, their reply in verse 19 is not surprising. They say, about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. How hard must it be to have to share this news that's so painful and personal with someone you've just met? But that's not even the worst of it. In verse 21, they share their real pain. We had hoped. We'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, these disciples had heard the scriptures, the promise of a great prophet who would free them all, an amazing figure like no other sent by God to restore his people. To them, this could only be some kind of politician or a, or a military leader, someone who would send the Romans packing and put Israel back on top, someone who could make their current lives better and easier. That's who they were expecting. Then in verse 21, they tell him, it's been three days since he died. Now, we can all see the sadness of this. It can be hard to accept the death of a loved one at first. There's a period of doubt, of disbelief. But the more time goes on, the more reality sinks in. Three days, he's gone. He's not coming back. And on top of that sadness comes confusion. In verse 22, they tell him, some of our women amazed us. They went to his tomb early this morning, and his body was missing. They said that angels told them that he was alive. But when our companions went to the tomb, they didn't see him. Now, this whole thing's been pretty rough for these two, to lose someone so important, so vital to their salvation. And then here he was alive again, just to be let down a second time, to feel that loss all over again. It's, it's frankly pitiable. Then in verse 25, the stranger's response comes, completely unexpected. How foolish you are. Now, no one likes being called foolish. But can you imagine how it sounds to these two? Like, buddy, we've just met. I just told you how bad my day is going. I've been catching you up on stuff that everybody in town knows already, and now you're calling me foolish. But the stranger doesn't seem phased, and he continues in verse 26, asking, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And he explained to them all the things said in the scriptures concerning Jesus. And it must have been a lot because the next thing we know, the journey's over. We've walked the seven miles and have arrived at Emmaus. And when the time comes to part company, something really surprising happens. Uh, the disciples, who just a short while ago seemed frustrated and irritated by this stranger, invite him to stay. In fact, verse 29 says they urged him strongly, stay with us, the day is almost over. The stranger accepts. He goes in with them to stay the night. Now, why is this happening? 
As we saw, this guy didn't make a great first impression on these two. It's a wonder they continued traveling together, never mind staying with them. Who is this guy? What did he say to them? In verse 30, we see them at the dinner table. They reclined together, as they would have in those days, about to have supper. The stranger takes the bread, gives thanks to the Father, and breaks it. He starts to hand it to them, and as he does, their eyes are opened, and they can see that it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's alive, the Messiah who died, who was put to death right in front of us. He was beaten, flayed, pierced, and crucified. He was well and truly declared dead and buried for three days, and here he is, sitting with us, alive again. How could this happen? What does this mean? Well, it means he is the Messiah. It means he has conquered death. It means that they were foolish to doubt, and they don't have to be afraid. Jesus immediately vanishes from their sight, and you'd think this would discourage them again, but the disciples have seen the truth. The risen Jesus himself has opened their eyes, and as a result, everything is different. The first thing they say to each other in verse 32 is that their hearts were burning within them while he talked with them on the road. And why wouldn't they be? There's so many bits of powerful and prophetic scripture that Jesus could have shared with them. From all the way back in Genesis, we're told of one born who will crush Satan. He could have gone to Deuteronomy, where God promises us a prophet better than Moses, or Psalm 110 that tells of a Lord greater than King David. And then there's Isaiah 53 that says, This one we've been waiting for, he will be a suffering servant, a lamb led to the slaughter, that he'd be cut off from the land of the living, and after he would see the light of life. Now, if Jesus had stayed dead, these verses would all just be empty stories. There'd be no reason to repeat them and keep them through the centuries. But since Jesus rose again, it actually proves the Scriptures true. The truth of the resurrection confirms the truth of all the books in the Bible, because they all point to this. Throughout the whole Bible, God continually points to the one who will be born of man and who will die to save us all. And knowing the Scriptures, if Jesus hadn't died, He wouldn't fit. It would go against what God had foretold about His Messiah. See, God had a specific and perfect plan that He'd already told us about. And Jesus' death and resurrection is that plan in action. The resurrection changes so much. There's an old saying that goes, only two things are certain, death and taxes. On this day, that list went down to one. Because through his resurrection, Jesus showed that death isn't certain, that there is a way back to life, and that he is that way. And this knowledge that Jesus has conquered death has massive repercussions for his followers. In verse 33, we see the change in the disciples. It says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now, earlier in the passage, they urged Jesus to stay because it was getting late. Now, they're ready not only to travel in the dark when it's most dangerous, but back to Jerusalem, where, where followers of Jesus are in hiding, fearful of persecution for their beliefs. They've changed their attitudes about the Scriptures. They've changed their concerns for their own safety. They've literally done a 180 and headed in the opposite direction. 
And why are they suddenly so bold and enthusiastic? They wanted to be safe from persecution and free from Roman authority. If anything, this course will lead them closer to those dangers. I mean, Messiah hadn't removed the obst- those obstacles, right? Like, but in an unexpected way, by dying and returning, he did. By dying and living again, he shows that these two, that there is life after death, that there is life beyond death, and eternal life in him. And with eternal life just over the horizon, what is there to fear? If believing in Jesus will free them from death, then how can the Romans hurt them? If the kingdom of God exists in heaven, then why do we cling to things on earth? See, the disciples were being foolish. They made the mistake many of us make. They were looking for physical salvation. And Jesus turned them around to see the spiritual victory he'd planned from the start. It wasn't what they expected, but it was better than they could have imagined. In revealing the mysteries of death, Jesus gave them a reason to live, and to live boldly and without fear. And that's how these disciples feel as they're headed back to Jerusalem, ready to seek out other believers and tell them the good news. Their eyes have been opened, their hearts set on fire. They don't walk with their faces downcast anymore. Their faces are turned towards the resurrection. Jesus rising from the grave changes everything. But what does it mean for us today? Well, if you're here today and you're not sure about Jesus, just know that you don't have to fear death, that you can know what comes after, and that there is a huge reason to believe Jesus when he tells us. I mean, if you're going to take advice from someone, you want them to know what they're talking about. There's, there's a lot of guessing going on about what happens after you die from people who've never been there, but Jesus has been there. He can speak about death and what happens after you die because he was there, so you can't trust him. And if you're here today and you've already decided to trust Jesus, uh, if you have put your faith in him, then this passage should set your heart on fire. You don't need to fear death. You don't have to wonder if following Jesus is worth it. You can know for certain. You have assurance that your life is safe with Jesus. It's worth it. I want to share with you how this message had a huge impact on my dad's life. Uh, My dad had lots of struggles in his life. Um, He had a lot of health issues. Uh, He worried for his family. And even though he was a Christian and he trusted Jesus, he was scared of eternity. Not even death, just the idea of forever terrified him. He prayed long and hard that God would fix his problems, that he would heal his body and soothe his worries, that he would make his life easier and less painful. And even though he always prayed about these things, it was June last year he met up with his doctor and got the news he had cancer. It seemed like a joke, like like God had heard his prayers and done the opposite. I even prayed many times that God would take the cancer away, but we were looking for physical healing, whereas God was giving spiritual relief. Because as dad was getting sicker, 
his relationship with God the Father was growing stronger. It seemed the more he let go of this life, the more he embraced the next. And at one point, he actually said, I don't know what I was so worried about. And he died October last year. But see, he knew Jesus. He knew that Jesus died and came back to life. He knew where he was going and that he'd be free of the pain of his broken body. And by the end, he embraced the idea of eternity with Jesus. It wasn't what we expected, but it was better than we could have imagined. So let me encourage all of you to lift your eyes to eternity, let go of the burdens of this world. I'll invite you to celebrate the spiritual victory won by Jesus Christ and know that if God can give my dad that kind of reassurance and peace, he can do it for me and for you. It won't be what we expect, but it will be better than we can imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your Son. Thank you for your plan for him to be born, to live, to die, and to rise again. Thank you that through him you've given us proof of life after death, and that that can help us to live without fear. Please forgive us when we're being foolish, when we don't realize spiritual reality, and please continue to set our hearts on fire for you. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.